Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We're really pleased that you joined us today, and it's July 21st. 2016. I'm Charlie Wright, and we're very pleased to welcome back David Armstrong, Portfolio Manager for Cedar Capital. David, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie. Delighted to be here. David, this is a red-letter day for us. It's a day of celebration because, as I have mentioned to you, you were our very first interview back in October of 2014, over 18 months ago, on Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie, and it was a red-letter day for me then, too. Uh, I remember that interview well, and I'm delighted to be back with you. Hey, so so this is great. So welcome back. So Cedar Capital is an investment management firm. You guys are known for your unique, innovative investment strategies. Okay, so again, this show is all about uh, strategic investing. Okay, uh, all about alternative investing, and that's what you guys are about in a number of ways. And you guys are known for your portfolio construction, so you not only have the unique investments and strategies, but you construct portfolios using all kinds of strategies to do that. So give us a brief, a brief background of Cedar Capital. So it's interesting that we're here on your show talking about you, your focus has been on strategic investments, uh, strategic investor radio. And in fact, what we use are that we use that as one of our terms as we think about what we do. When we, as an advisor, have been used in the past, the uh, most frequently asked questions are around the idea of how do I take a particular investment idea and fit it into my portfolio? Where does it fit, and how much weight should I give it into my portfolio? And that's where the very idea of Cedar Capital came from. We want to bring together different ideas and think about how to blend them together in ways that balance out both risk and return in the portfolio. And so that's what we do. Okay, so tell us a little about your MAP program, Market Advantage Portfolios. So our MAPs programs are designed to bring together different ideas. We bring together strategic investments, and we think about those as being traditional benchmark-oriented ideas. Think about bond exposure or equity exposure, the S&P 500 here in the United States would be a good example. And we want to do two things through the evolution, we believe, of a portfolio. The first thing we want to do is we want to bring in some diversification by adding in tactical strategies. Why do we do that? Well, as you and I both know, there are periods of time where the markets expand in value, but there are also periods of time where investors become more risk-averse. And in those environments, we want to have a way to change the allocation of the portfolio and become more defensive in our allocation. So the first thing that we do when we build our portfolios is we think about what that ought to be. And then the second thing, a common refrain today, more and more investors are saying, I want alternatives in my portfolio. I'm looking for different ideas. And I think that's motivated by a number of different components. But if we think about using alts in a portfolio, we've seen that there are lots of investors who have used them with great success in the past. Who are those endowments and foundations? And so we can get a lot of information about the way that they've applied risk and return to alternatives in a portfolio and apply very much the same ideas in terms of what we do as well. Okay, and so how, how do you apply those here? So it's interesting. We've done a lot of research, and for your investors, if they're interested, we have a couple of white papers that are available up on our website. We see a couple of things. If we dig into what the endowments and foundations do, 
we can see that they tend to allocate a lot to their alternative portfolios. But that alternative allocation it actually differs. Large endowments and foundations tend to have a tremendous amount of exposure to private equity and venture capital. If we look at some of the data that's available, smaller endowments and foundations actually don't have a lot of exposure to those kinds of exposures as well. And so if we look at the sub-allocation, what's the average breakdown of the alternative sleeve of endowments and foundations? We find that they typically are allocated about a third to private equity. And when I say private equity, Charlie, I mean broadly defined. So private equity and venture capital, private investments would be another way to think about it. They have about a third of their portfolio allocated to absolute return strategies, and they have about a third of their portfolio on average allocated to commodity and real estate. And so we follow very much that same construct and apply it to what we do. Okay. And uh, so this MAPS program, is it for advisors? Is it for... The uh, investor, is it for institutions? Who's it for? Who are you marketing to and providing this to? So we market most of our strategies through advisors, and you asked about advisors and investors. In reality, advisors are doing work with investors. And so for us, we offer MAPS in two formats. For us, MAPS can be a separate account where we'll go out and we'll manage the exposure and reallocate the portfolio and rebalance the exposures uh, over time. The other thing that we do, though, is we actually release the holdings of the portfolio itself. So if investors say, I have my own portfolio and I want to build in part of what you do, they can see what the weights and the allocations are to the individual ETFs and funds. We use those, those as our vehicles to get our exposure. They can see what those weights are, and they can use them themselves. Or we can also do some customization as well. So do you work only with advisors, or do you also have clients who are end investors? All of our work is done through advisors, and they maintain the relationship with the end client. Okay. Now, I noticed on your website, in looking at that uh, in preparation for this, that it shows this uh, model of the, the endowment use. Yes. And I noticed that in the last few years, significant increase for natural resources and for private equity. Yes. So how do you get involved in those kinds of investments? You're absolutely right, Charlie. If you look at the way that portfolio construction has evolved over the last 30 years uh, in the endowments and foundations, what you see is that they have begun to tilt away from what I call a strategic allocation, so traditional equity and fixed income, and have gone to a more alternative allocation. Roughly 60 to 70% of their portfolio is invested through alternatives themselves. They've also done something else that's kind of interesting. More of their private exposure has changed the allocation to traditional equity as well. What we find is that the endowments and foundations actually overweight their non-U.S.-based exposure and underweight their U.S.-based exposure. And so one of the things that we do in our fourth of four models, which we refer to as the MAPS Individual Endowment, is we actually overweight non-U.S.-based exposure, and we overweight alternatives in the portfolio as well. Okay. And uh, so how do you get this information about uh, the modeling that endowments use? It's publicly available. You can go to entities such as Nakubo and others. Some endowments actually publish their own holdings in arrears, so there's a little bit of uh, uh, latency to the data itself. And then we monitor how those are behaving over time, and we use that as a guide to what we do. Now, uh, endowments have been known to use hedge funds. Yes. Uh, you don't use hedge funds. We do not use any hedge funds. Again, if we 
if we dig a little bit deeper into their alternative exposure, we find that about a third of the portfolio is allocated to private equity. That typically has been a difficult asset class to get access to. The hedge fund exposure, though, Charlie, refers to what we think of as an absolute return strategy. What do I mean by that? Well, hedge funds typically have more flexibility. They can invest long, they can buy a particular security, and they can also invest short. And oftentimes, an absolute return strategy will have a target expected return and a low correlation to traditional benchmarks. In our case, we actually use a strategy that has a low correlation to that, uh, to most uh, other investment markets, bonds, and equities, and we use that as our holding. But it's a, lo- uh, a long-short strategy that's held long only in fund format. Okay, now you, you talk a lot about tactical investing, and even uh, your website mentions strategic investing. Yes. For some of our listeners, who, uh, how do you guys view tactical investing? A great question, uh, and it's certainly one that uh, we and other tactical managers are well aware of. You know, we've been in an environment over the last several years where risk has been behaving differently. The equity markets have continued to rise in value. Many investors may remember that volatility itself has been lower. And so as a result of that, A lot of the data that uh, your listeners can get access to will show that active management has underperformed passive indices. We definitely see that there are periods of time where that does happen. But similarly, there are also periods of time where active management outperforms as well. Tactical strategies over the last couple of years have also struggled. Remember, we've been in an environment where a lot of what we do will have a defensive capability, and there are periods of time where being defensive hasn't necessarily paid off. When we think about performance and adding value to a portfolio, our view is we want to do that objectively over a market cycle. And as we've been in an environment, Charlie, since 2009, where the equity markets have continued to crawl higher and higher and higher with very little volatility, uh, we've seen that there's been some underperformance from tactical strategies. This year, though, conditions seem to be a little bit different. Uh, One of the things that we found is that our strategies have had more outperformance in this environment. We run a tactical equity income strategy. You were asking earlier, Charlie, the idea about where do we get our real estate-based exposure. Our tactical equity income strategy is one that's run by a super guy by the name of Jeff Kim. In Jeff's strategy, he's got a lot of deep value positions in real estate, REITs in particular, and that strategy is done very well this year as well. And so in our case, we think it's important to have solid ideas in a portfolio. You want to blend them together and understand that each of them are going to have their environments where they tend to outperform, but you also want to be disciplined in how you apply that, and that's part of what we bring. David, hold that right there. We need to take a short break. Again, we're talking with David Armstrong, Portfolio Manager of Cedar Capital, and he's here in the studio with us, although their offices are headquartered in Chicago. He honored us with his presence today, and we appreciate it. So you're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com.
All right, let's get back to Charlie and his guest. Thank you, Paul. Again, we're talking with David Armstrong, Portfolio Manager of Cedar Capital, here with us in the studio today. So, David, uh, tell us, let's talk about the funds that, that, that you're actually invested in. Uh, these are publicly traded funds, um, ETFs and mutual funds, I presume. Correct. Okay. Are they all long-only buy-and-hold funds, or are there any that go long and short? Do you ever go to cash? How, how, how do you become tactical? In the spirit of the show, let's start out with our alternative allocations, because there are a couple of funds, Charlie, that we run that are new to the, to the industry uh, and may be of interest to some of your investors. On the alternative side, there's a firm by the name of Thomson Reuters who's developed a couple of indices which are designed to gauge the behavior of the venture capital space and the, and the private equity space. And they measure the behavior of investments in that space a little bit differently. What they do is, they, uh, rather than a number of other indices, they actually go and look at investments in individual firms. And they measure the way that the value of those firms are changing over time. So in their index, when they create the index itself, what they do is they go out and they get the sector allocation right first. What do I mean by that? Well, what you tend to find, for example, in venture capital is that there's a significant amount of exposure in venture capital to technology. And so the portfolio itself uh, is weighted, the index itself is weighted more heavily to where venture capital is placing its investments today. And then there's a leverage component that's in there as well, because as many of your investors know, there tends to be uh, borrowing and leverage that's used in uh, venture capital and private equity also. So what we do as a firm is we offer the Leland Thomson Reuters Venture Capital Index Fund and the Leland Thomson Reuters Private Equity Index Fund. And all we do as a manager is we develop funds that are designed to track the indices themselves. That's all. Okay. So do you have anything that are long-short? Do you have any that are short only? Do you ever go to cash? How do you work these individual investments? Yep, let me take those in, in that order. So we don't have any strategies that purely are short in the portfolio. From our perspective, we know that that tends to be a little bit riskier. It may have return over time, but it comes with a lot more volatility. Um, we do have a strategy that has a long and a short component, and it's our currency strategy. Um, we have a currency strategy which is sub-advised by a firm out of Boston, Massachusetts called FDO. They've actually been in the industry, a group of uh, Harvard professors that have been around since uh, the late 1990s, managing a lot of institutional assets. And their strategy, which has been developed for us, does have a long and a short capability. Remember that currencies can both rise and fall in value. And so there are two things that we do in the fund that are unusual. The first one is we don't we uh, maintain flexibility. We can be either long or short. We revisit the allocation on a weekly basis, so it's got a very short-term view with respect to what can be a very dynamic market, uh, and then is offered in a 40-act fund, so it has daily liquidity as well. A 40-act fund being a mutual fund. A mutual fund. You may not be aware. Correct, an open-ended mutual fund. So that does have a long-short capability. Now, your last question was, do we ever go to cash? And the very idea to us of a tactical strategy is one that will target a particular risk profile. Let's say the U.S. equity market or the U.S. bond market is two easy examples, but also maintains the flexibility to remove that risk exposure from time to time. And so in our tactical strategies, uh, tactical core U.S., in our emerging markets and our developed market strategies, in tactical equity income as well, all of those maintain the capability that if we're in an environment that's unusual, they can actually go to cash. When we're in cash, we use treasuries most of the time as their defensive allocation. And so you use funds 
that some of the funds are your funds, some of the funds are others' funds. That's correct. We use funds and ETFs because one of the characteristics that a lot of investors are thoughtful about today is what do we do about fees. And so watching your expenses is important for investors. The combination of ETFs, which gives you fairly inexpensive exposure to strategic beta, which we talked about earlier, think of traditional markets, it's a great way to help manage some of the cost of investing in a particular uh, portfolio philosophy. But all of our funds uh, and ETFs, which we were talking about earlier, uh, all of those are available with daily liquidity. And to your point, Charlie, we don't exclusively use our own. We also have the ability to incorporate other funds as well. So it's a combination, but all daily liquidity. So what do you do when you're working with an advisor, Mm -hmm. okay, and the advisor says, you know, I like your approach, I like the way it works, I like several of the funds you're using, but I don't want to take a particular client and move all of his money over there. So can they implement this on a partial basis? Yes, they can. And, you know, it's interesting. A lot of investors and their advisors ask themselves the question, when's the right time to get into a particular investment? When's the right time to start? And from my perspective, there's never a bad time to introduce diversification to a portfolio. So for advisors who may have seen that they've been in, um, as I mentioned over the last couple of years, we've seen the equity markets continue to rise. If they feel like they want to have something to diversify risk in their portfolio, then maybe they add a sleeve of tactical allocations to their portfolios. Or maybe they add a sleeve of alternatives to their portfolios. As you and I both know, where does the market go from here? We don't necessarily know. That's almost impossible to predict. So I want to build a balanced approach that has an allocation to some equity exposure and a defensive capability as well if the markets go through some period of correction. One of our favorite say, uh, sayings here, David, is that in a bear market, the only thing that goes up is correlation. Yes, exactly right. Okay. So uh, can you give us a feel for to what degree are these portfolios uncorrelated to a typical 60-40 portfolio? Uh, Charlie, great question. The correlation itself is going to be lower to a traditional 60 portfolio, but more importantly, you're going to find, as you just pointed out, that that correlation is going to vary over time. So in some environments, it's going to be more highly correlated. You know, frankly, what most people would like is they want to be highly correlated to the markets when they're rising in value, and they want to be highly uncorrelated to the markets when it's declining in value. Um, But obviously, markets themselves are dynamic, and so you have to take a long-term view. Okay. So um, how long have you guys had this MAPS program, and how is it going? Uh, We've been running the MAPS program actually just since late last year. We brought together these ideas for investors who are interested. uh, Our fact sheets are available up on the website if they want to see some more information. We also, though, have uh, wholesalers that are available around the country would be happy to talk about what we do. Or they can call us at Cedar Capital. Uh, and we'd be happy to touch base with advisors and talk more about what we do and provide some of the research as well. So tell us a question we like to ask all of our guests here, David, is what keeps you awake at night? To me, the thing that keeps me awake at night the most, and this is anecdotal more than anything else, Charlie, investors have a propensity to want to hold in their portfolio the things that have done well recently. And my, again, I say anecdotally, my view is that over the last couple of years, as we've seen the U.S. markets do particularly well, emerging markets have underperformed. The developed markets, non-U.S.-based exposure, have uh, struggled a little bit. I suspect that investors have been putting more and more market risk into their portfolio. 
And so if we do go through a period of correction uh, and it surprises people, which as many uh, investors will remember, uh, very few people are able to predict what the markets can do, uh, then they're going to have more risk in their portfolio than they may be aware. And so to me, as we continue to talk about what we do, uh, bearing in mind that uh, markets have different environments, you want to build a well-diversified portfolio to try to address that as best you can. You know, it's surprising how uh, short memories can be of, uh, by investors. You know, the other thing, Charlie, that people tend to miss, we often have what's referred to as a home bias in our investing. And one of the things that we've seen is that as the U.S. markets have continued to rise in value, non-U.S.-based exposures are areas that people have tended to not pay as much attention to. And that makes total sense. It's hard to know what's happening in the emerging markets. They're broad markets, and they tend to be fairly volatile. And one of the things that we do in our map strategies is we actually allocate, uh, very much like the broad market indices do, uh, roughly uh, 50% of the market cap of the world is in the U.S. markets, but 50% is outside the U.S. And so we weight our maps portfolios with a 50% allocation to the U.S. equity markets, 40% to the developed markets, and 10% to the emerging markets. And then we do something else. Remember, we're going to carry some strategic exposure, just straight beta to the markets themselves, but we also blend in a tactical capability. Why? Well, do the markets go up from here or not? We don't necessarily know. If it does, we want to take advantage of some of that, but we also want to maintain a defensive capability, and that's what our tactical strategies uh, tend to provide us as well. So let's go back for just a minute to the endowment model. Yes. Is there any part of the endowment model that uh, you guys don't necessarily use or don't try to duplicate or, or to mirror in any way for whatever reason? Charlie, it's a great question. We actually have recently produced a white paper that goes back and looks at the idea of how do endowments perform, both at the high level across the, the, uh, the portfolio itself, but then also we have some information available to us that will look deeper into what are they doing in their alternative allocations. And in our research, we've actually keyed in on the idea that if you have a certain kind of return profile and certain illiquid indices that people use as benchmarks, how does that relate to the performance of the, uh, the, uh, the endowments themselves? If we go one step further, we look to see whether or not we can recreate the behavior of the illiquid indices, indices that you can't invest in, um, which you can't invest in an index, but invest in things that are designed to track those, ind- those indices themselves and see what happens with performance from a risk and a return perspective. And what we find is most of the return that comes from the endowments and foundations does not come from individual security selection, although undoubtedly some of them are very, very good at, at what they do. But each of those investments are going to have their own risk. The most important contributor to the portfolio's performance tends to come from the asset allocation decision itself. And so for investors or advisors who want to learn more about that, you, we'd be happy to talk about it, or you can find our research available on our website. And and tell us, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the uh, endowment model is becoming increasingly larger on the real estate side. What kind of products do you guys offer on the real estate side for the individual investor? When we invest in real estate, we do it mostly through our Good Harbor Tactical Equity Income Fund. Investors who are interested in that, there's a, their tickers are available up on uh, through any particular financial website. We maintain flexibility in terms of the allocation itself. Today, about 85% of the portfolio is allocated to REITs, uh, and that's the way that we get our exposure to the portfolio. That weighting in the portfolio, the fund itself, is the same weighting that you tend to find on average of the endowments and foundations, about a third of the overall portfolio. 
A third. Very interesting. Second question, David, we'd like to ask all of our guests is what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? Can I recommend two? Please. So I, I love this question because, uh, as you and I were talking about earlier, Charlie, one of the things about this market or these markets, financial uh, investing, is that things are constantly changing. And so looking for new ideas and thinking about uh, both historical perspective and what's coming out uh, is part of what I think is exciting about what we do. The two books that I'd recommend, first of all, Howard Marks, The Most Important Thing, Uncommon Sense for the Thoughtful Investor. I think that's a great book, and I've, I actually share that with my son recently who's been reading it. Uh, David, i got to tell you, uh, our last interview recommended that very same book. Uh, I went online this morning and bought it. Yeah. Okay, because I haven't I haven't read it yet, and that book has been recommended now I think four or five times. Uh, Howard, another graduate of the University of Chicago, is he so, really? Yeah, so okay. uh, so our thinking in many ways is consistent. Uh, the other recommendation that I have, and I think it's especially important, uh, Nassim Taleb, "Fooled by Randomness," uh, is a book that I'd recommend to investors. And why do I say that? We often tend to want to over ascribe behavior in the markets to things that we can reach out and touch, and oftentimes. That tends not to be the case. I, I read his book, The Black Swan. Yes. And I would just recommend it. Anyone who wants to read it, have a dictionary nearby. Yes. It's not for the, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the things that's important as you're reading is to go and get different ideas and, and to challenge your thinking. And I think he's got some pretty good ones. Yeah, he has. So, David, give us a website here and contact information for those who would like to know more. Website, if you're interested, www.cedarcapital, C-E-D-A-R, capital.com. Or you can reach us at our main office number, 312-241-1855. We're happy to chat anytime. Thank you, David. And final words for our listeners here. Uh, uh, it is a very, is, uh, who was it who said, Charlie, we live in interesting times? Yeah. I, I think it may have been Sun Tzu who said that. You know, it's yeah. uh, we're in an environment where the markets themselves have risen, both equity and bond markets. Uh, they're both expensive. Remember also we're in an environment where cash yields are zero. And many times we find that markets tend to climb a wall of worry. Uh, it's important to have a disciplined investment process that you maintain consistently. So, Great advice. David, thank you very much for joining us, coming in, in here uh, to the studio. And we appreciate you coming back to, again, celebrate our initial interview over a year and a half ago. Charlie, great pleasure. Thank you. So, again, we've been talking with David Armstrong, Portfolio Manager with Cedar Capital out of uh, Chicago, Illinois. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd love to have you contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com. And go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. This is Charlie Wright wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science. 